All right, so Matthew chapter 5, go ahead and go there. Uh, you guys remember, I've, I've just been beating you up with this. Uh, I hope that you know that the context of the Sermon on the Mount, the context is not the multitudes. The multitudes are following Jesus because of the ministry that he has. It says they're bringing all kinds of sick, all kinds of demon-possessed to him. He's healing them. Uh, and this, this, uh, this multitude has gathered. And it says that Jesus removed himself from the multitude. He withdrew to a mountain, right? But, and, and, and when he withdraws to the mountain, he calls his disciples to himself. So the picture here is not Jesus getting up on a mountain so he can stand up and preach loudly. The, 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 uh, the picture here is that he removes himself onto this mountain so that he might have a quiet place away from the multitudes where he might instruct those who have said to him that they will follow him. See, the context of the Sermon on the Mount is for those who have received the call of Jesus that says, follow me. And it's an important, important, important call. See, that's what, about, that's what Christianity is. That's what salvation is. He came to the disciples and he said, follow me. And what did they have to do? They had to drop their entire lives. They had to forsake everything that they were to follow this strange man. But there was something in him. There was something in his voice. There was something in the way that he said those words, follow me, that beckoned them. I believe it was the Holy Spirit that beckoned them to this life of abandoning their old and walking in the new. And Paul says the same thing. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ in me. The demand of your life is to die that you might live. And Christianity is nothing less than death to life. That's the dynamic of the kingdom. And I, I stress all the time, you guys hear me all the time, salvation is, is not real unless you've died and been born again. Nicodemus doesn't know how to really take that, right? Jesus says, listen, man, to enter the kingdom, you've got to be born again. And he goes, well, how am I going to do that? Do I get back in my mother's womb and there's this, there's this rebirth? And Jesus says, no, that which is born of flesh is flesh and that which is born of spirit is spirit. You've got to have this, this rebirth. It's not a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing where the old thing that, is, that has brought the wrath of God is dead in you that I may bring you life. We read when, when Adam is created that God gets, that gets as close as to, how close would I have to be to you to breathe into your nostrils? I've asked you this before, and you got un, very uncomfortable. <laughs> Especially the front row people were like, he's not going to do that. <laughs> right, but this is the intimate breath of life that is given to us, right? It says that God breathed his spirit into Adam, and he became a living being, Right? So this is, the, this is the breath of new life that we receive when the old dies and the new comes. It literally, he breathes life into our nostrils. This is God that's really close up, right? But it takes death. Jesus says, follow me. And this is the context of the Sermon on the Mount. We have to understand everything he says is for those who have said, all right, I'll die that I might live, Okay. And we, we, talked about, uh, we talked about that at the beginning. Then we went through a few of the Beatitudes. There's eight statements that Jesus makes, and it starts with blessed, okay? And these are, the, these are the Beatitudes. And he begins, and this is the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. So what he's doing is, uh, remember, it's just, the context is what? Follow me, okay? You guys, good. Have I said that enough? Because I'm going to say it 12 or 18 times next week too, but uh, maybe for this time I'll be done. But he says, follow me, and... When you follow me, this now becomes the context of your life. See, this is important. The things that once were the laws and rules and principles of your life, they're not, they don't apply anymore. Why? Because you have been brought into a new kingdom. Colossians says that we were taken out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of the beloved son. Well, in a new kingdom, there are new rules, right? If you, if you move to France, you would be under a new 
set of rules and regulations. Why? Because where you exist is different, right? You guys understand? So what Jesus is saying, all right, you, you've died to yourself. Now you've said that you're going to follow me. Now here are the rules. Here, not, not rules as in like regulations, but here are the things that, that which uh, you should live by. This is the new paradigm of your life. And it takes a shift from the old paradigm, right? Because everything, this is when Jesus starts to turn everything on its head. This is, this is the Sermon on the Mount when he says, uh, you've heard it said, but now I say to you this, right? Because in him, there's this, everything, everything just turns over. To understand the kingdom, I told you last week, you kind of got to get on your head, right? You kind of got to like stand on your head to understand the kingdom. Because everything's backwards in the kingdom. We just said, even to get into the kingdom, in order to really live, what do you have to do? Die. Entrance into the kingdom starts with a paradigm shift, right? Right? And everything in the kingdom continues to be a paradigm shift. So he's talked about some of the Beatitudes. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs are the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who, who I've emptied themselves. Blessed are those that know that there is no good thing in them, but that he is everything that is good. It's the first, that's the first part. We read, uh, blessed are those, this, was, this is one that's still, I, um, man, I just have been on this this week. Like, God, I want to hunger for this. But he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And he says, they will be filled. Right, we normally talk about hunger and thirst in, in relation to food and drink. And he says, no, when you're, back, when you're into the kingdom, food and drink mean less to you than righteousness. Righteousness is what you desire. It's what continually comes up and motivates, uh, and motivates you. And here's the beauty of the promise. He says that if, you're, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you'll be what? Filled. You're not gonna go hungry. You're not gonna go thirsty. That dryness in your mouth, that spiritual dryness in your mouth that a disciple of Jesus must have is filled by righteousness. And we read that that's not our own righteousness, that he is righteousness. He became sin who knew no sin, that we might be called the righteousness of God. The righteousness is not our own. It is his that has been shared and given on our behalf through the cross, right? So we recognize that we are emptied of ourselves, but our righteousness is not our own. It is his who fills us and inhabits us. And then I left you because I didn't, I, I just, I stopped because uh, this next one that we're going to talk about today uh, is, uh, is huge. We, we kind of hit on it a little bit, but it's the only one he elaborates on starts in verse 10, and he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But he doesn't stop there. See, all the other ones were kind of this one-line deal. He doesn't stop there. He says, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. He says, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So I want to tie something together here that I believe contextually we are, we are able to do so because he uses the same words. So the first, the first time in verse 6, Jesus says uh, that if you hunger and thirst for, for everybody, <laughs> righteousness, there it is. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, You'll be filled. And then he comes in verse 10. Now, he just said that. So uh, he's using the exact same word. So uh, is it okay for us to combine these? Yes, absolutely. This is, this is what I mean. We've got to take Scripture in context. He says, blessed if you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. 
for theirs is the kingdom of God. See, this, I think maybe for the first time, this hit me in the way that I feel like Jesus said it. Because when I think of persecution, I always think of persecution for the things that I, that I might do, right? You know what I mean? Like if I, if I stand on the street, street corner and I proclaim the gospel loudly, then I'll be persecuted, right? If I go to a place uh, that, that rejects Jesus completely and I begin to speak the gospel and I begin to speak his name and, and I, if, I, if I were thrown in prison or, or beaten or even murdered for the gospel's sake, then I'm being persecuted, right, for what I've done. Does that make sense? Like what, if, I can, if I can take a, a, an act of the gospel, then I can create persecution. Does this make sense? What I do, my actions create a response of persecution. That's why I've always seen persecution. And so if, if that were true, then persecution re- would require me to be extreme in my action, right? Because I've got to somehow create persecution on somebody else's behalf. Does that make sense? I've got to stir you up enough to persecute me if that's what persecution is. And so in that light, I am going to be responding to you and not responding to the Holy Spirit. In order to gain persecution, if I've got to get a reaction out of you, then I'm going to absolutely do what it takes to get a reaction out of you and not be responding in obedience to the Holy Spirit. You see where this is backwards? Because then all I'm just, I'm just gaining a reaction on the earth. This is not persecution. And Jesus makes it very, very clear here what persecution is. He says you're going to be persecuted for what? righteousness sake but just two verses earlier or three verses earlier he says that you're to hunger and thirst for righteousness and we understand that hungering and thirsting for righteousness is hungering and thirsting for who he is it's his nature right he is righteousness so if we hunger and thirst for him if our only filling is him then we're persecuted not for what we do though it may look that way but we're persecuted for what we hunger and what we thirst for you see this It's a complete different thing because if I'm persecuted for my action, then all I'm doing is action apart from from anything else. All I'm doing is trying to to, uh, conjure up an action that's going to draw persecution. But Jesus says this is not what it's going to be. You're going to hunger and you're going to thirst for righteousness. That literally your your heartbeat is going to be satisfied by me and my nature. You're going to wake up in the morning and all that's going to satisfy you is righteousness. You're going to go throughout your day and all you're going to desire, what your mouth is going to want to be filled with, what your, what your stomach will cry out for is me and my nature. And when that is the life that you live, persecution is coming. And blessed are you when it does. See, it's very different. It's very different than just creating action. Jesus is talking about a lifestyle. Jesus is talking about a paradigm shift where literally all we're consumed with is him and his nature and his heart. And if that is true, if all I am consumed with is him and his nature and his heart, then the people around me cannot help but be affected by it because he loves those who I'm gonna come in contact with. If I'm obsessed with Jesus, you're gonna know it because he's obsessed with you, right? And when my life is consumed by just consuming him, 
who he is and who his nature, he says, listen, if, if righteousness is what you hunger and thirst for, not only will you be filled and you'll be satisfied in me, but the earth will persecute you. They will hate you if you hunger and thirst after me. Why is that? See, I can go out on the street corner and I can make an extreme statement really about anything and I can draw hatred, right? Why is that? You know, I don't know, and I'm, I'm just being extreme here, but I, you know, in a town like this, I could, I'll give you an example. Uh, this is a, uh, this is quite obviously a red state uh, and a red portion of Texas, right? I have a neighbor who is, uh, like, loves the Democratic Party and Barack Obama, and, like, on his wall, you guys may have, may have seen this, on his fence, he, uh, put all sorts of uh, political ads and support for Barack Obama during the election, right? He was over by the high school. Anybody remember this? Corner uh, by the high school. Like, to, well, good for him, right? That's it's what he's celebrating. That's what he's going for, voting for. Great. How long did those signs last up on the... <laughs> right? All you got to do to draw persecution is say something that makes people a little bit uncomfortable, right? And, and it can be based on any stance, See, but that's not why believers are persecuted. Persecution comes for us because we're living in accordance with a rule and a law that is not common on the earth. It's not because we just say extreme things. It's because we live in a different paradigm than the world around us. And that's what Jesus is saying, is that if you pursue me, hunger and thirst for me, then righteousness is, I mean, uh, hunger and thirst for righteousness, then persecution is coming. But it's because of what you hunger and what you thirst for. And I'll just ask in this room, uh, how many of us, how many of us are persecuted for what we hunger and thirst for? Man, that's a hard, that's a hard accountability question to ask. Lindsay and I have been asking that question in our home. Like, Jesus said, if, if he is what consumes us, then it will come. And I'm not saying here that if you guys haven't been taken out on the street and, and beat up that you're not being persecuted. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that we see an extremely low amount of persecution. And I, and I wonder, with this being said, I wonder if Maybe some of it's because we would say that we live in a civilized nation. We, you know, people don't just do that, but maybe some of it is because the church, his people don't really hunger and thirst after him. That our heart beats to a different rhythm, and it's not the one of our Savior. It beats to the rhythm of acceptance. It beats to the rhythm of, of power, of fame. It beats to the rhythm of not, not stirring up the, the waters, right? It's keeping things level. And I wonder what would shift on your campus if you began to be consumed with your hunger and your thirst for righteousness, for his nature. Again, I'm not saying you're going to get thrown in jail. But part of the accountability question is, are we hungering and thirsting for the right thing for him? And I want to uh, kind of I don't want to beat you over the head with like this, this persecution idea, but I, I want you to see the shift uh, that even occurs in our reaction 
to persecution. So he says, you're going to hunger and thirst for me, and you're going to be filled. There's satisfaction when you hunger and thirst for me, but persecution is coming, right? He intentionally says that the, he, he lines up three ducks, okay? And it's important that we see all three ducks. He says, you're going to hunger and thirst for me, you're going to be filled, but you're going to be persecuted, but, and here's the other but, all right? And this, this is why I love it's why he It's why he elaborates on it. He says, uh, they're going to revile and persecute you. They're going to say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Blessed is he who defends himself. Is that what it says? Oh, I almost got some of you. You're like, what was that, verse 14? I didn't see. (laughs) What does he say? What's the third duck? What's the third, third thing that he, that he connects? He says, the very next word, he says, they're going to speak evil, and it's going to be false, and then it's going to be against you for my sake. And then he says, rejoice. What? I'm telling you, this is our next connection. We go, they're going to speak evil against me, and I'm going to rise up, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to tell them who I really am. Jesus says, no, rejoice. It's a strange statement after saying they're going to hate you, right? He says rejoice. Why? Well, sorry, he elaborates. Rejoice and be glad. Okay, like now you're pushing me, Jesus. You know, it's like I was okay at rejoice, but now I got to like click my heels or something. I don't know about that. It says rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Not just glad on a minimum scale, but exceedingly, over the top, glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I want to be careful here. Does he say, rejoice and be exceedingly glad because they're persecuting you for my name's sake? Is that what he says? Why are they persecuting you? Because you're hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Because you desire righteousness. So persecution comes. But Jesus says, this is not the focus. Persecution is not the focus. He says, rejoice. Because what you hunger and thirst for is bringing a lifestyle that has great reward in the kingdom in which you live. You see the paradigm shift. Jesus never, never, ever teaches us to react to the world around us. He says, hunger and thirst for something that does not exist on the earth. Me, righteousness. If you do, this is how the earth is going to react. But rejoice, because your reward is great in the kingdom. You see how desperately Jesus is trying to rip us from the control and the grip of the environment around us? Because you are not made to live in a submission to this earth. Right? So many of us get saved and then we submit ourselves to the rules, regulations uh, that are are at, at work around us. The powers and principalities of darkness, we say, we're saved, but come on, have some power over me. Because we don't recognize the fact that Jesus has literally birthed us new into a new kingdom. And that new kingdom requires a new set of footsteps, right? We walk in a new fashion. We're hungry and thirsty for different things. And our reward is not on the earth. If I could do anything for your generation, I would ask the Lord to break you of desiring any reward and fulfillment on this earth. 
Because, guys, it's not going to happen. There is nothing you can do on the earth that is going to satisfy you as a believer in Jesus. And I cringe for some of us that believe that that is true because you're going to fight your whole life to gain satisfaction with something that will never, ever, ever, ever fill you. And then you're going to look at him face to face and you're going to see the one that could have done it the entire time. And you're not going to see disappointment. You're not going to see frustration in his eyes, but you're going to see the love that would have truly fulfilled. You're going to see the one who promised us filling on this earth. We are not meant to be broken and busted on this earth. Our bodies groan because we're going to get a new one, right? We, de- we burn and desire for our, for our love to return, but Jesus said, I am, I am enough for you right now. I have totally filled you and have not left you empty. You can be satisfied on this earth. Though it does not know you does not, and is going to reject you, you can be satisfied and not just satisfied as in content, but you can rejoice and be glad because great is your reward where I sit. You know, it's, it's like Jesus saying, I'm, I see you, you know? The earth may look at you and reject you, but Jesus is going, I see you. And I notice you. And great is your reward where I sit because you hungered and thirsted after me. Let's make the list. They're going to revile, revel. I don't know. I've probably been saying that wrong. We talked about that earlier, Christian. I say a lot of things wrong. (laughs) They're going to persecute you. They're going to say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Luke talks about it a little bit in chapter 6. I'll just read it to you. Uh, He said, blessed are you when men hate you. Listen, and when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your name as evil. Anybody okay with that? We okay with that? Jesus says, don't, he doesn't say go defend yourself. He says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad for your reward in heaven is great. So for the believer, the three things that I want us to see today are number one, hunger and thirst for righteousness. As a believer in Jesus, that is what you've been designed to be filled by. He says, the reward of that is you get filled, right? If you hunger and thirst for me, there's filling, it's not empty. When you hunger and thirst for me, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be spoken falsely against. They did it to the prophets. They're going to do it to you. Don't be surprised. He's just kind of saying, look, this is just the way it works on the earth. They reject the kingdom of heaven. He says, but your reward is great. So for the believer, what we've got to see is that the things that we're doing here on the earth have an eternal impact in the kingdom. There is reward Guys, I'm not going to shy away from this. It's not, this is not in a selfish sense because the scriptures say that, uh, that all crowns, all rewards, all riches will be cast before the one who deserves them all. And we will be singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This isn't like, yes, I'm going to get rewards. But the, 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 the love relationship is we're stockpiling rewards in the kingdom that we might lay them at the feet of the ones who that it belongs, Right? How brilliant of a picture it is 
to know that my obedience on the earth is giving me opportunity to lay something before him in the kingdom. Wow. He calls them gold, silver, precious stones. He talks about crowns. He talks about, about jewels and all of it, right, gets laid before the, the, the one, right? Jesus. What a, what a tremendous opportunity for me to know that if, in my obedience to him, I, I store up rewards that I get to give to him one day. I get to honor him with the rewards that I have accumulated in the kingdom. But it's a different outlook, right? Jesus goes on, and in chapter 6, I want you to see this uh, quickly, but in chapter 6, listen, listen to what he tells him. This is still part of the Sermon on the Mount. I, w- I just want you to see the, the paradigm shift of if you're satisfied by the reward you gain on the earth, you will not be satisfied uh, in the kingdom. And he says, um, let's see, let's see, where was I? Um, okay, so go to verse 5 in chapter 6. He says, when you pray... You're not going to be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be what? Seen by men. And he says, assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. See, do you see the the shift here? Their action was done in such a way that it might bring reward from men. Right? Do you see this? So they stand in the synagogues, they stand on the street corners, and they pray. Why? Because they want men to say, well done. They want men to look at them and say, wow, how holy. Wow, how righteous you are. They want men, they want the words of men to say, well done. And Jesus says, you'll get it, but that is your reward. Right? You guys, you guys have seen this. You play the Christian game, right? Men will look at you and say, wow, what a remarkable young man. You behave, you'll get a well done. Guys, don't get into any, more, don't get into any trouble and help the old lady cross the street and you'll get your well done. But that's all you get. If our actions are designed for a praise attempt for man, we'll get it, right? But that's it. And how long does that well done last from man? Anybody? How fast is it gone? Anybody ever been caught up in performance? You know how fast it's gone? Like a minute. And you're thinking of what can I do next? Because that felt really good for a man to look at me and say, wow, Ryan, man, you're just incredible. And they walk away and I go, ooh, I gotta have that again, right? So I gotta come up with some other performance, right? If that is the desire for our reward, then you'll have it. But it'll be fleeting, it'll be momentary, and it will not be eternal. If we hunger and thirst for righteousness, if we're persecuted for righteousness' sake, then great is our eternal reward in the kingdom. Come on. You see the shift here. If you will forsake the praise of man, you will gain the praise of Jesus for eternity. If the, man, if that didn't mean anything to you, you are dead on the inside. 
if it doesn't stir the heart of, I'm, and I, I'm, I'm serious, if it doesn't stir the heart of the believer, I want, you, need to, you need to seriously check salvation. If it doesn't stir your heart to know that the eternal praise of Jesus, eternal reward of Jesus is yours in the kingdom, if you will forsake the praise of man, then something's not firing right. What an honor. I said at the beginning of all of this, what, there, is no other, there is no higher honor than the fact that Jesus the Messiah would look at you and say, follow me. Nothing else should have to happen in our lives but the fact that he counted us worthy to say, follow me. Wow. And then that he might be our praise. I want you to see this because I think it's powerful to, to see it in the scriptures. So... Um, and, and you can read uh, and continue in chapter 6. He does it at verse uh, 16 again. He talks about fasting. And he says, if, you know, if they see you, if your fasting is public, you'll have your reward when men praise you. It's the same concept. He says it many times. But I want you to go to, uh, let's go to Acts chapter 7. For, for time's sake, we're going to. Go to Acts chapter 7. So Acts chapter 7 is a long chapter. And it's about one guy, uh, and it's, it's about him in his in persecution. It's about Stephen. You guys, you guys remember Stephen? You know the story of Acts chapter 7, right? Uh, this, is where, this is where we first really learn about Paul and who uh, the man that he is before his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. This, Paul's the one that stands at the stoning of Stephen. And, and I, I just want us to... to sit here for just a second because I think this offers a perfect picture of what I'm, of what I'm talking about. So in verse, I'm going to skip a lot of it, but in verse, uh, in verse 51, so really Stephen's standing before the high priest and, and he gives this account. I mean, it, it is thorough. It is a thorough account of why Jesus is who he says he is and why uh, they, the, the people that he stand, the religious elite, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, why they're missing it. And why he, it's, just, it's this uh, rebuke, this sharp rebuke on their missing of uh, the one who came to save. And, he, and so I, just, just to get the ferocity at which he's speaking, in verse 51 he says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. So that's a good way to really get somebody to approve of you, right? <laughs> Just go yell at people and call them stiff-necked. That'll, that'll work. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So that's another good deal. Just If that's not enough, just insult their heritage. That's, as your fathers did, so do you. He's speaking the truth. That's what's cutting them so deep. And he says, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you have now become the betrayers and the murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, now watch this, when they heard these things, they were what? They were cut deep, right? It says they were cut to their heart. Why? Because Stephen's not standing up there for a reaction. Stephen's not saying, okay, if I can just insult them enough, then maybe they'll feel guilty, right? It says they were cut to the heart. Why? Because Stephen is standing in obedience to the one in whom he hungers and thirsts for. And what is the result? There's deep, deep, deep impact on the ones that he speaks to. Cut to the heart is not talking about they were insulted for a moment. 
What he spoke penetrated. It says, well, this is what the scripture says in Hebrews that the word of God can do. It can divide asunder, right? Bone and marrow, right? He speaks the word of the Lord and it cuts deep. And it says they were, uh, it's, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, look, I see heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. So this is the process. These are these three things that I was just telling you. Stephen is satisfied. He's full of the Holy Spirit. He burns and is satisfied by one thing. The Son of Man, Jesus, the just one. That's his love. That's his aim. That's the only thing that satisfies him. And because of that, he was persecuted. Jesus said, blessed are the persecuted. But look at this. In the middle of this moment, where they're about to haul him out and kill him, and he knows it, right? It says they're cut to the heart and they gnash their teeth. And I mean, it, is, it has escalated quickly. And it says that he looked somewhere. Where does he look? Where is his gaze? Guys, we gotta see this. Into the heavens. You see, what happens if he looks at the, the crowd that is about to stone him? He becomes overwhelmed, I'm sure, becomes afraid. But immediately, where is his gaze fixed? It's fixed in the same place it's been fixed the entire time. Stephen has been standing for one audience. Stephen has been living for one filling, and that is of his Messiah. And in the middle of this most dramatic moment in his life, when literally the earth is about to cry out and kill him, his focus and his gaze is in heaven, fixed right on the Son of God, who is doing what? Standing. You guys ever been at a wedding when the bride walks down the aisle, when she comes in? What happens? Anybody ever been at a wedding? What do people do? They stand. Why are they standing? It's a, it's a position of honor. Whew, I can't even stand up. Can you imagine? Jesus standing in honor of Stephen. You see, it's the only thing that mattered to him. In that moment, I promise you that Stephen is filled, that there's nothing lacking in him, that his joy is exceeding and complete. Why? Because the approval of his love, right? Because Jesus is standing. Guys, we've got to break our love of the earth because there's one who, who desires to stand There's one that's called us to a different heartbeat. There's one that's called us to a paradigm shift in our life and desires to stand. 
There is no greater honor for the disciple of Jesus than the approval of him who died on my behalf and now stands in my honor. That's not even right. It's like I don't even get that. But I promise you in that moment, Stephen's joy is filled even as the stones hit his body. Even as he begins to die, his face is in the kingdom. And I would challenge you today. Where is your gaze? Are you filled by what you are designed to be filled by? Are you trying to figure out the Christian life by filling yourself with the, the junk of the earth? This, I'm not talking to non-believers here. If you're a non-believer in this room, then don't. I'm not mad at you. I'm not talking to you. Believers, why are we seeking to be satisfied by something that is not Jesus? And you wonder why you're miserable in your Christian life. You wonder why you don't have joy and exceeding gladness because you're pursuing something that is not Him. That's what you've been designed to hunger and thirst after. That's what you've been designed to be filled by. And that's where your exceeding joy and great reward is in, is in the honor of the one who has called you to his name. Yeah? Sorry, I get a little excited about that. I... There's this other story in Acts chapter 5 where uh, it's awesome. I love it. But they, they arrest the, the apostles for preaching Jesus, right? See, so offensive. Jesus is just so offensive. And they arrest them for preaching Jesus. And they bring them into prison. Now, imagine, it's a whole lot of them. It doesn't just say that they brought in a few of them. It br- they say they brought in the apostles, right? It's like we got the whole crew, right? <laughs> They bring him into the prison, and what happens? Man, that night, the door is opened. Now, where would you go if you'd just been captured, the door's open? It's like, yes, escape. You know, I'm going, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm going to go run away. I'm going to go hide. They can't get me again, right? Ha <laughs> ha. You know where they go? Right back to the synagogue. Right back to the very place where they were arrested, and they begin speaking Jesus again. And they bring him before this same crew, this high priest. And this one guy, this is also this is a funny conversation. This one guy, kind of the wise one in the room, he kind of goes, um, I've just kind of seen what's going on around this crew. This is right after Ananias and Sapphira die because they lie to the Lord. And then the scriptures right after that says, and uh, uh, they, many were cautioned to uh, adding themselves to that number, right? It's like they just saw the seriousness of it. It's like, okay, I'm not going to take this follow me thing lightly. This is a serious call. So it's right after that. They get arrested. They get set free. They go back to the synagogues. And this one guy in this, in this council, he says, uh, I've seen kind of what's going on here, and we would be wise to not mess with these guys, right? Because they were going to kill him. That, that was the idea. They brought him in, and, and they were, they were going to kill him. And this guy says, uh, <laughs> says uh, you guys have seen what's going on, right? I mean, <laughs> we, don't need, we don't need to mess with them. So, so they settle for beating them. They settle for casting them out of the synagogue and just, and just beating them up. And the scripture right after this happens, you know what it says that they do? They jump up and start rejoicing. 
And they go do the same very thing that keeps getting them in trouble, and that is speaking Jesus. Right? It's just, it's just a shift in your attention. It's a shift in what, in what gives you fullness and joy. Right? And I want to, I mean, all of this says, look, if, if they kill you, you can be joyful. If they drag you out in the street and they beat you up, you can rise with bruises and blood all over you and you can be joyful. Because your, your whole reality is not on the earth. It's in the kingdom. And nothing they can do on the earth, nothing the enemy can orchestrate will damage us because we're sealed in him. And great is our reward in the kingdom. So you, you can imagine what is going to happen, and I believe it, what is happening across your campus and in this city when people are waking up to a new reality. You know how, you know how turned over Jerusalem was because these guys lived in a new reality? Because these guys lived in accordance with the kingdom? You know how messed up that city was? It started when Jesus rose from the dead, and it said, and many of the great saints got up and walked around the streets, right? It started a little freaky, Okay. And it continued as these guys just continue to live based on another drumbeat, right? And can you imagine what will happen on your campus if you'll get your eyes fixed in the very place that they're meant to be fixed? If you'll walk to a different drumbeat, the one that you're meant to walk to? So I just want to pray for you and then we'll be dismissed. So I want to, I want to pray that your allegiance to the earth would be broken. Is that fair? And anybody who wants their allegiance to the earth to be broken, you just agree with me and ask the Holy Spirit to do the work. Because he's already reminding you the places that you love the earth, that you love the earth, that you love the earth. We're gonna break those and destroy them right now. So just receive the work of the Holy Spirit that would, that would break your love of the earth and get your eyes fixed on the one who's standing. God, in Jesus' name, I just ask that the places that you have already awakened us to, there are, across this room, there are people who are, who are thinking about the, their allegiance to the earth. And in all of those places, I pray that you would do a mighty work in Jesus' name and break us of those loves. And I pray that we would be filled and complete in those places where we've just said, okay, I don't want to walk with the earth anymore. I pray that you would fill us and complete us. Why? Because you said you would if we hungered and thirsted for righteousness. There's no more hoops to jump through. We desire your filling, and we receive it now. So I just want you to, the places that you've just, that you've just committed to the Lord, I want you just now to receive by faith the filling of the Holy Spirit in those places. So we just receive that, Lord. Continue to minister to us. Those places that we just abandoned, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would fill them, and that our heart in those places would be after you. I pray for revival on our campus. Oh, I pray that Stephen F. Austin would burn for Jesus. I pray that there would be a, a radical movement of disciples of Jesus who forego their connections to the earth and live based on the drumbeat of the kingdom of God. And I thank you for the reward that is great in the kingdom that we might one day lay at your feet. 
We honor you, Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen.